Shoulder of Orion is brought to you by the generous support of our incredible patrons. To learn more about joining our Patreon, please visit www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. All right, let's fucking concentrate, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, should we, what should we what should we call this episode? Just a special special announcement? Uh, I don't say announcement. I just say. I yeah, would we'll, say. yeah. Okay. Say, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna start talking. Right, I'm not gonna think about it. I'm gonna fucking go. Gonna stop roll. being. Stop doing a Jamie Prater. Stop overthinking. Gotta, yeah. <laughs> T minus twenty two minutes. Episode sixty seven. <laughs> Hey, everybody. This is a little special roundtable that we convened because the Oscar nominations came out yesterday and our beloved Blade Runner 2049 was up for five of them. So, you know, we've been texting back and forth and talking about it with a lot of you on Fields of Calantha. And there's a lot of buzz, a lot of things to go through. And we figured we'd just put a little reaction roundtable in your feed based on some of our initial thoughts and, you know, keep the conversation going, um, of course, you know, on Fields of Calantha and elsewhere, because uh, this is a big, a big moment for us. So I guess we'll get things started with, uh, Dan, what were your initial reactions when you saw what we were, well, actually, before we get there, let me just list them out. So, so uh, 2049 was nominated for Best Cinematography, Roger Deakins, obviously, Best Visual Effects, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Production Design. Okay, so, so Dan, what were your initial thoughts? Um, well, first of all, I'd like to go back to the only proof of this is probably a text Jamie has, but I believe a week or two ago, I predicted that Blade Runner would get four nominations and I called cinematography and three technical awards, you know, such as sound or uh, VFX or something. So I was pretty close, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) I have proof. I just got to have Jamie dig it out. But, um. (laughs) I, I yeah, deny I that. Think... I completely deny that. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to check well. the – I'm going to get the IP address. We're going to figure that out. <laughs> okay. Um, but, yeah, and, and I see a lot of disappointment out there for the fact that, you know, best actor, supporting actor or actress uh, or best film wasn't on there. And honestly, as much as I would like to see 2049 nominated for like 13 awards or 13 Oscars the way um, The Shape of Water was – at the same time, there's some nostalgia that brings me back to the fact that the first movie was a flop in theaters and that it wasn't nominated for a lot of things, although it did win some BAFTAs, I believe. Um, but that's part of the Blade Runner legacy is sort of, without being pretentious, you know, I, I feel like the movie is almost too smart for like the average movie going audience. You have to kind of be into this deeper concept. Um, and so... I think it's appropriate that I'm glad it got mentioned in the first place and I'm glad it got five nominations and I'm pretty, I think it has a really, really good shot um, at one of the technical awards for sure. And cinematography, I really think it stands a really good chance because if you look at it objectively, Deacon cinematography is just phenomenal. Um, It's up against some other really good movies, but um, I think it really has a good shot. So I'm, I'm pleased with the nominations so far. I, I really don't delve into my disappointment that it didn't get, some kind of fantasy world nominations because I think we all know what Blade Runner is about and mm-hmm. we know that not and necessarily the general public is going to always have an appreciation for it. it. It kind of requires this cult audience, which has grown bigger over the years, but still, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of appropriate. 
Yeah. You know, and it's probably worth pointing out that Jordan Cronenweth, uh, the original cinematographer, as you said, did not even receive a nomination for his work on the original Blade Runner. So, you know, the, the legacy of Blade Runner is not to be garnering a ton of Oscars. So, yeah, it's kind of right. a big deal. Jamie, what, what were your initial what were your initial thoughts? I was really excited. Uh, I would say certainly initially disappointed that, you know, there wasn't maybe a, a Best Picture nomination or a Best Director nomination. However, uh, we come to, come to expect that. I know, Patrick, you were talking about, like, these types of films being traditionally snubbed, like science fiction, fantasy films being snubbed for, you know, the larger, more prestigious awards. But I think for the awards that it's nominated for, you know, effects um, and cinematography, well worth it, well worth it. And I hope it at least walks home with cinematography, just at least. If it's that, that's the only one, I'm cool. Well, because that would be a historically very important one, not only to recognize the work that Deacons did, but, which I think, I, I mean, I, I, I can't even conceptualize of a better cinematographic achievement than what he did in 2049. Like, I, I couldn't even imagine what that would look like. So, like, to me, it's it's sort of, you know, an easy an easy win for him. But um, also just within the scope of his career, you know, he's been nominated 14 times now and has not won yet. And this is, this is a guy who did... Uh, cinematography on like some of the great films of, of our of our era you know not only with these these things with um with phil Neuf, like with uh prisoners and sicario but you know he also worked on shawshank redemption um fargo like he even did uh, the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford which i'm not crazy about as a movie but i think looks absolutely incredible and he's been you know for decades now getting nominated and he's traditionally been like a front runner and uh been snubbed so for him it would be I think it would be a really a really big deal. Um, I got to say, I wasn't surprised that it didn't get nominated for best director or best actor or best supporting, because uh, I, I I feel like the timing of the release was a little bit awkward, and for whatever reason, and I've never really quite understood this. Maybe you guys know more than I do about it, but it seems to me like the Academy is really dependent on release dates for these things. And you look at things that came out in the last month, like Shape of Water and Phantom Thread, like these are movies that. I'm sure their, you know, their respective studios thought this is potentially Oscar worthy, especially for Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm sure they they knew that was going to happen. So we're going to wait until it's like a month out from the nominations so that all the Academy members are seeing these movies and being blown away by them. And then you have Blade Runner 2049, which came out, you know, four months earlier than that and is now out on Blu-ray. But it's not like, you know, these the members of the Academy that are nominating are like watching it for the first time all of a sudden going, oh, we need to go back and, and nominate this, you know? So I kind of wonder how if if maybe they, they realized that it was not going to get, um, you know, the, 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 the more kind of mainstream newsworthy nominations. And they decided, well, we'll just, you know, release it when it feels right in our production schedule and see what happens. Um, but I mean, I, I can't, I... I even even with all that being said, I am really disappointed because I think, especially from a, a directing standpoint, I think that what Villeneuve did with uh, this film is like uh, is is transcendently amazing. It's it's some of the most incredible directing work I've ever seen, and it's for him and where he is in his career. You know, this is what his fourth or fifth feature. Um, and he's like on the way to bigger and better things. And this would have been a great moment for him to get the industry recognition and the name recognition that I think he really more than deserved because he turned out this thing that was, you know, beloved by critics and fans and um, moderately successful financially and 
but you know that's the way that's the way the cookie crumbles i guess if i could rewind for just one second yeah. uh since i don't want to say erroneous things so the original blade runner was nominated for uh best art direction set decoration and best effects and visual effects it didn't win them but it was nominated for two oscars mm. and it was nominated for looks like eight baftas and it won uh cronenworth won best cinematography which he died either right at the end of filming or before it was released or right afterwards he died in 1996 actually i think oh really okay yeah uh, yeah well nonetheless i'm glad he was around to receive that award uh and it won yeah. best costume design and best production uh on the, at the baftas okay mm -hmm. So it did win some awards, and uh, 2049 is also up for a bunch of BAFTAs, including um, Best Director, I believe. So that would be nice. That would be nice. What's interesting you know, think, about um, yeah, I was going to say what what's interesting about the the nominations is you know five categories is pretty prestigious. You have a film nominated in five categories, but then it's like okay, so what the Academy is saying is that yes, this film is an artistic feat. It's amazing. But not amazing enough to do a best picture and best director. Um, again, I, I have a strange relationship with these types of awards anyways. I feel like the reward or the award, the film, to me, the film's reward is itself. I don't think we need to nominate these people and have them give them these, these things, these gold little statues to make them feel important or make them feel validated. Um, I'm not saying that they're saying that either, I, and I know this is me kind of looking far into this. I just, I, I think that there's these awards, this award season stuff is, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I, I, if he doesn't get it, oh well, what excites me the most about this is the most about these awards, because the Academy Awards are the most prestigious thing, is the fact that it puts Blade Runner 2049... Not that it has gone away, but it probably diminished a little bit since its release on digital and uh, Blu-ray slash 4K. Um, but it makes the the studios who produced this film believe that we did something worthwhile, and maybe we should look at another film. Not to say that mm. I'm not to say that I'm pining for another sequel. It would have to be all the right people again, um, maybe like Christopher Nolan or someone to make the sequel to make it a good. A good film, but it it really keeps it keeps it. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It 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 keeps it in public consciousness so that a, a sequel is possible. And if they could do it well, I'd certainly welcome it. Yeah, yeah. You know, Deacon's uh, in a, he did an interview with Vanity Fair um, at the tail end of 2017, where he was asked about how he feels about, you know, potentially getting an Oscar for this. And, uh, and his quote is, quote, it is what it is. It doesn't change the work, end quote. And I think that really echoes what you're saying. And, and I, I get that sense by everybody who's been involved with this. You know, they're not campaigning like crazy to get recognition. Like they made, they made a, a masterpiece and, uh, and it's not going anywhere in public consciousness, you know? I think for me, what, what Deacons did that puts this so far above um, <clears throat> just sort of, quote, unquote, traditional cinematography is he was part of the creative process from even before pre-production to post-production like he stayed on so he and Villeneuve worked for weeks together in a hotel in Canada um with storyboard artists and they built the whole laws of the environment together like like Villeneuve having worked with him on Sicario and Prisoners was like this guy is my creative soulmate I really treasure him I want him to have an, an actual perspective before we even start pre-production in any kind of earnest way on this, where we're just going to sit around and talk about ideas. 
Um, and so the look of the film emerged from those early talks. And that's why you can have an episode like the one that we did with Robin Bunce, where we talked about, you know, the, the sociopolitical, uh, you know, implications of the way the architecture is laid out. Like those things work because it was developed by this really holistic approach by people who really care to put the pre-work in. So before it was in production design or in, you know, pre-planning or even being storyboarded, it made sense from like an artistic and social standpoint, you know, and then as he was shooting it, he was getting to do, as we've talked about all the stuff with the water effects and all these incredible architectural things. And the light was such an integral part of the story. And then he also stayed on through post-production and, and worked as a supervisor on a lot of VIP. Like, so, uh, for example, in another interview, he was or actually this is I think it's from the same Vanity Fair one. He said that they would get these incredible shots of the sky with these clouds and this like low kind of Beijing smog cover. And it would look incredible. And they would get this, this moment in that shot where light would poke through and hit a pool of water on the ground. And in dailies, they would go, oh, my God, it's so transcendent. Like, that's a moment that is so aesthetically um, like exciting and it works so well and they would keep it and then they would go back and look in, during editing and they'd be like, no, it ruins the bleakness of the film. We have to get rid of it because this this story is not about light breaking through darkness. The story is about darkness, you know, and about finding light within ourselves. And so they would scrub those shots and, and you know, you don't know that unless you're in post-production and you're going through every day and looking at the dailies and, you know, so I, I just feel like it was such a, let alone the, the things that he was able to do in this in terms of cinematography it feels to me like there should be no contest but it could just be me you know uh did you guys there's a just a recent uh, quote from villeneuve who they asked him about the nominations and he said he's disappointed that there was one nomination not given and he talks about ben walfish and who we're going to interview by the way and um mm-hmm. on zimmer's work um what do you guys think about that like i I've come far on this soundtrack, um, and I don't, Dan, I, I don't know, you and I, when we started kind of talking and becoming friends, we were listening to the soundtrack a lot, So, I, but I don't know what your opinions on the soundtrack are, but before we get into that, or I will say from my, from my end of things, when I first heard the soundtrack, I was excited, but I, it was also very different in the first couple of times I heard it. Um, I was like, oh, okay, it's interesting. It, it seems very all-encompassing, but it's certainly not the soundtrack of the original. You know, it doesn't conjure those feelings for me. Now, you know, months later, this is one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard. It creates a, a singular world. It's original. It pays homage, but while doing its own thing. Uh, I, th- I think it parallels the soundtrack of the original film in, a, in its own separate way. But I, I don't know if... I. I don't know if it deserves an Academy Award for it. I'm not really sure. What do you guys think? I guess I'll give my two cents before I let Patrick take this one since he's got such a great music background. But um, yeah, I also have had different opinions about it as I've listened to it more. So it's grown on me a lot. Um, And amongst the great things it does, I think it parallels the relationship between the new movie and the old movie. Uh, very well. And what I mean is kind of like you said, Jamie, I think it pays homage to the original without rehashing it or trying to sound like it. It's a completely new and different sound. It's very emotive. It's very atmospheric. Um, and I think, yeah, it's not as good standalone as a product. You have to know the movie well, I think. And as you watch the movie more and more and listen to the soundtrack more and more, it starts to blend together to really create this 
um, very effective music. And uh, I think it's wonderful. You know, on, on the downside, I, I think I'd like to create my own playlist of the soundtrack because I personally dislike the interruption of the atmosphere in tracks, I think, four, five, six, where all of a sudden they play like Sinatra and Elvis and another song. Not that I don't love those songs that then they're not in the movie. I just would have liked those kind of at the end. I'd like all the atmospheric stuff all in a row, but that's just a personal preference of mine. Mm. Um, and of course, I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say that the very end song in the credits, I forget by whom something about being human was yeah. very, very <laughs> poppy garbage song that I don't think belongs anywhere on this soundtrack, but that's just my personal opinion. It reminds me of like the end of an anime film, you know, where it's like right, they, they always right. have this like kind of like almost weird human. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah right. really bouncy kind of poppy song. <laughs> yeah. It was just one of those yeah. things, like, what the fuck were they even thinking? I mean, what, right. like, why would you even, number one, include the song in the soundtrack, which, by the way, it is not on the digital release. They play those credits at the end without that song, which I think is very interesting. interesting. I noticed uh, that, yeah. It's so on the nose and bad, I, I, I don't even, I don't know. It just it's out of place. Yeah, yeah, I think it's out of place for the for the depth of the movie. And one last thing I'd like to add, and this is kind of, I think, a teaser to something that we're probably going to do later in the podcast. But I've been talking with you guys and specifically with Patrick about the fact that I think there's a strong connection between four notes in the original Tears and Rain and the main four notes in the melody that replay in multiple tracks of the new soundtrack. And I need Patrick's musical ear and a keyboard to really identify them i think yeah they i'm are pumped slightly, for this man we got it yeah yeah i, I think it's yeah. i think they're slightly off uh again i don't speak musical language enough to tell you what i mean but i think they're like the first two notes are just one note higher and the other two are identical but i definitely think there's some inspiration there from the old soundtracks and i and to me it really connects the old soundtrack to the new. So anyways, mm. I think we'll explore that in more depth later. Yeah, we will. And to throw hopefully out get to ask uh, a certain Mr. Wallfish about that. Yes, indeed. We might all be present for that interview if we, if he does it in person. Yeah, li- literally, uh, I will fly out there. I really, I really mean that. That would be such an important thing for, for just in my life to be able to be there for that. He's such an amazing artist. Um, yeah. As far as the soundtrack goes, like, I think it's absolutely incredible. And just like Jamie, you know, my personal relationship with it has shifted quite a lot because it it was I, and I, I feel bad because on some of the, the early post-release episodes, I made the point of being like, to me, it was the only aspect of it that although it was to, to my mind almost perfect was not at the same level of improvement over the original as basically every other aspect of, of 2049, in my opinion. Um, and I st- I st- it's not like I still think it's – I don't think it's better than Vangelis. The, the original score will always have its own very special place for me. But I think that it does such justice to that movie, and it's the score that that movie needed. Like, Dan, you were saying, like, it, it kind of depends on the film. Like, it, it was created symbiotically with that movie. And I think that is yeah. very much what th- it calls for, you know? And it's not a traditional sort of Hollywood score by any means. It's not the sort of thing that, um, you know – the Oscars typically go with, I'm not, I, I would I would never have thought it would have won. I think it would have been an interesting choice um, for a nomination because I think it 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 does a lot of really new and innovative things while also being a really expressive, unique product with uh, within the context of the movie. I think that um, <clears throat> I I don't know if you can hear that, but our uh, I'm I'm working from home today and our our one year old is running around right above my head right now. I can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so cute yeah, he's like he's like he just started walking so now he i thought that was dan uh doing his fist pumps on the 
the, I'm not even the, talking. I don't fist punch. <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't know. You could be. <laughs> um, uh, Patrick, uh, before we run out of time, I would like to remind you that you wanted to kind of explain something you explained to me, but I'm sure there are other members of the audience that w- would love an explanation on um, kind of the technical difference between uh, sound editing and sound mixing, which are two yeah, of the sure. Oscars that they're I'd up for. Love, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and explain that. And before I do, um, I just want to just, just wrap up what I was saying quick by saying that um, the soundtrack is now a really deep part of my life and part of my heart. And I listen to it a lot and I love it. And I, I just wanted to clarify that I have evolved on that. Um, and I think it's important to kind of push things that we're comfortable with and find new, new horizons. But to answer your question, so sound mixing and sound editing are kind of like two halves of the same puzzle. You got basically that the, the sound editor is uh, responsible for creating the sonic environment or creating the elements of the sonic environment. So that could be everything from Foley effects, like people walking on, on pavement to the sounds of weaponry, to the sounds of the spinner engine, to the acoustics of the, um, you know, the ADR of like the, the post-production dialogue that gets punched in. All those things happen by the sound editor. And then the sound mixer is responsible for assembling all of those things into a cohesive acoustical landscape that will work well in the context of a digital film presentation, which sounds like um, not as much work as the editor has, but it's actually really complicated and really um, there's a ton of art that goes into it too, because, you know, when you're sitting in the theater and you're in a Dolby surround system and you, and you, you completely forget that there are, that like the, the, all of the sound you're hearing is just coming out of these like discrete speakers, you know, and you just sort of lose a sense of where you are and you kind of just become part of the, the movie. That's where the sound mixing comes in. So like, I like to say it's sort of like this, the sound, the sound editor, um, you know, sculpts the materials and then the sound mixer assembles them into the final sculpture is kind of the, the, the idea behind it or, or, or you know, builds a house out of them. Um, I, and I think both <clears throat> are just, um, Absolutely amazing with this movie. You know, I, I love uh, the sound of the pilot fish, you know, the little the little drone guy. I think it's like so characteristic and and cool. And I love uh, I lo- like there's one specific moment in, in the Foley effects that I every time it's really early on. And I'm like, oh, man, they just nailed this. And it's when Sapper unplugs his helmet when he's in the uh, the little bio farm. And it's just it's such a visceral, appropriate sound for that. And it's it, that kind of sets the tone to me of how how thought out the sound of the film is. So yeah, I totally, totally see that. Hey, before we wrap up, um, I, I thought maybe we could go through and share some reactions that we've had on our Facebook pages uh, to, to these nominations. You want to go through some of those? Yeah. Uh, before you do, I just wanted to um, yeah. make one, well, at least delineation for me in terms of, we are talking about soundtracks from uh, 2019 and 2049. For me, I think that soundtracks are completely different experiences. 2019 is full of nostalgia, and it's 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 created with instruments that we're very familiar with. A lot of um, a lot of that 80 synth, even though it's not used in a traditional way. The saxophone, which I actually can't stand, but I love in that film. Um, <laughs> uh, but and when I listen to the soundtrack of 2019, it's just it's very familiar. It's very comforting. It's very it's like this you're in this kind of womb and um it's just this beautiful comforting experience 2049 is this it's like you're just you've been thrown down this well and you're not sure kind of where you're going and it's 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 colossal and it's brutal and it's not comforting even though it's 
really amazing, um, and it sets up a completely different world for twenty nine for twenty forty nine than the original. I just I don't even think that they're comparable, even though they, there are similarities, and of course, tears and rain at the end, a version of it. Um, but those are the only similarities that I can give it. I I, I think Villeneuve rightly pushed them to say do something completely different, and they did. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk a lot more about the soundtrack in, in a number of upcoming, you know, like especially Jamie and I have been talking about this like nonstop. But there, there's going to be a lot of soundtrack stuff coming out. Um, so I, and I can't wait to, to dive into that more because it, it's certainly worth talking about. And also going back to the Vangelis original, you know, and, and, and talking much more about that because it's a big part of all of our lives. It's important to note, I think, that at the time Blade Runner 2019 came out, the sounds that Vangelis were using were not actually um, that familiar to people yet. You know, some some of them were, but um, but the idea of like a of a synth derived soundtrack was something that was still sort of avant garde at the time, um, and not many people other than him were really doing it in any kind of broad Hollywood release. So in some ways, it, it actually, although now it's very familiar to us, at the time, um, it was probably perceived as something very other and potentially even alien too. So, you know, it's pretty cool. I think I think there's a lot of tie in there. <clears throat> um, before we wrap up. Uh, I figured we could go through some of the things that um, that you guys said on our uh, Fields of Clantha and also on the post that Jamie put up uh, where we shared the the graphic about the five nominations coming up. So I can uh, I can go ahead and get and get started on that if you guys want. Um, sure. So in Fields of Clantha, our good buddy Dean Mays, who uh, big up Dean, you, I, we always enjoy your comments a lot, uh, said that uh, <clears throat> that it's up for five Oscars, including cinematography. And um, some of the comments to it were uh, G.W. Drapez said it should win cinematography. Dean Mays agreed that if any film and cinematographer deserved it, um, it would be Blade Runner and Deacons. Um, Pure Gunner Freepal said visual effects, sound mixing, sound editing, production design, and cinematography. No original score! In caps. I think I think we can all feel that. Uh, Aaron Fimister said uh, that he hopes it wins all five and boots the naysayers in their opinions. And then uh, our very good friend, Froyland Gardner, uh, says it'll have a, huff, a tough time in any category it shares with the shape of water. And he hopes it gets at least a few. And that gets at something that I pointed out yesterday. You know, I was on the train into work and the nominations had just come out. And I was kind of furiously texting you guys saying like, like, oh, it's not nominated for any of these things. And it's because it's like a genre film and the Academy always snubs genre films. And then I was like, oh, shit like <laughs> you know get out and also shape of water are like cleaning up categories this year so maybe it's not necessarily a, that's a genre film and it's it's something more you guys want to read some of the comments on the post uh that that jamie put up yesterday sure all right so yeah under uh if you look at our shoulder of orion page where we sent out the original congratulations Congratulations on the five nominations. Some of the commentary was uh, Michael Loss commented, I'm happy it was nominated at all, but no director, film, or best supporting roles. Ridiculous. I, again, it's it's a mixed bag, but I think we do share some of those feelings. Again, uh, I think there's pros and cons to having these nominations and having these awards. Um, Travis Chelgren said it was masterful in every aspect, not just five. Um <laughs> Carla Wolf said, no best story. You surprised me. That's true. The writing did not get a nod, which, you know, again, the story's pretty incredible. I know. Um, although and, although Michael Green, the co-screenwriter, uh, is nominated for Logan, at least. So that's that's pretty cool. And he's also okay. coming on the show. So that's exciting. Right, right, right. And yeah. And uh, Finding Ford said, the Ford snubbed as per hashtag standard. I think he's a big Harrison Ford fan. And <laughs> I would... 
I would like to add that I was so, so impressed. As much as obviously I'm a fan of Harrison Ford and I have a lot of nostalgia for him as an actor, um, just, yeah, his his job acting out the emotions in this movie were, I think I've mentioned it before, but I think a result of his age and experience in life, not just mm. his experience as an actor. Um, but he just did a phenomenal job uh, of really showing all those mixed, complex emotions, especially in the Rachel 2 scene. Um, and not to take anything away from people who I think should have gotten supporting actor, actress nominations, um, such as uh, Sylvie Hoek, who played Love, and mm-hmm. uh, even Ana de Armas, who's uh, really young and you know a, a more inexperienced actress compared to the rest. But um, yeah, she did such a phenomenal job. Yeah, totally agree. So thanks, everybody, for joining us in this impromptu episode. We thought it was worth discussing, and we'd love to hear what you guys think. Uh, what what nominations uh, weren't given that you thought or you think are are, are warranted in this? Um, so we'll see. We'll see what uh, Blade Runner 2049 takes home. We'll all probably be watching and hoping. We hope at least Deacons get At least I hope at least Deacons get it. So that's all we have for now. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please visit us on our website at www.perfectorganism.com. Shoulder of Orion is available for listen or download through Apple iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. If you'd like to join in the discussion, please join our official Facebook discussion group, Fields of Calantha, a Blade Runner discussion group.